0: right. Welcome back to the positively real podcast. I am your host and coach Brittany King. And I got another host and coach with me in the house today. Welcome to the show Paige. I am so glad that you're here.
1: I am so happy to be here too. This is going to be so fun today. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Likewise, you know, you get two coaches and podcast hosts. It's just magic happens. Yeah. So, Paige, you're a spending coach who helps women stop impulse shopping and overspending. I mean, come on, Tell tell me more about this, because I think that this is a very, very important topic to cover today.
1: Yeah, no. So it's funny, before we started recording, you and I were talking about our backgrounds. And it's funny because we have very similar backgrounds. We're actually certified through the same coaching school and like the same timeline. And so I am a certified life coach through the life coach school. And when I first became certified, I always knew that I wanted to coach women on money because it's always been an interest of mine. And also I'll share a little bit more about this, but... My background and my own struggles with impulse shopping and compulsive spending is something that I really struggled with in my younger 20s. And getting that situation cleaned up and dealt with was really what kind of spurred me into the world of personal finance. But when I became certified, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be a money coach. And I'm going to coach women on all things money. But even money as a topic has so many different Webs and facets of it, right? There's making money and there's your credit score. And there's, I mean, there's just so many different facets of it. And I found that most people, when they talk about money, They are very focused on the inflow piece of money, which is making money, which of course is super, super important, like making money and the skill behind that and the mindset around that is so important. Mm -hmm. But what I kept finding the one area that people kept coming to me on, but it was almost like in secret, kind of just like in the cracks was the spending side of it. And oftentimes it was women who were making great incomes, right? They were business owners. They were fellow coaches. They were doctors, lawyers making great money, but they didn't really have a lot to show for it because they were self-sabotaging all of this wealth and all of this income that was coming in through their spending habits. They were in credit card debt. They were spending more than they were making. They had a ton of guilt and a ton of shame. And it's also the one area that, like, no one was talking about. I started looking around and looking for, like, okay, is there anyone talking about this? Is there any actually like helpful advice out there to help people with this? And what I started to find was there really wasn't. And I remember I experienced this as well. When you go, like, let's just say you go to Google and you Google, like, how to stop and pull shopping, right? The most common advice that you're gonna get are just surface level tips. Right. You're gonna see like unsubscribe from emails, unfollow people on social media, um, delete the credit card autofill out of your, you know, online wallets and things like that. And for the women that I help at least, that really it doesn't really do much for them. It's just kind of like slapping a band-aid on an open wound. It really like the issue runs much deeper than that. And so a couple of years ago, I was like, you know what? Like this is an area where women really need help and my personal story aligns with it so well. So this is the one facet that I help women with now is I just call it like the outflow of money. Mm-hmm. Or essentially I say like, I'm here to help you once you get the money. Mm-hmm. So once the money hits your bank account, what to do with it from that point forward in terms of saving it, having it and spending it in a way that feels aligned and purposeful to you.
0: Mm, Hmm. I love, I just love how you recognize, like when we think about money as a whole, there's just so many different facets to it. And to focus just on the outflow is so important because it's a symptom of something else going on. And that was something that was mind blowing to me as well. When I went through coaching certification was understanding the difference between making money, saving money, spending Mm -hmm. and then having money and not realizing that having your capacity has everything to do with your ability to have your money. And I had this like aha moment in my own life when I made more money than I've ever had. And it was so uncomfortable that I ended up spending it because yeah. I didn't know have to do and I didn't realize it until getting into this work. So, um, this is amazing. I love like what you specifically focus on. I think that that's so important and totally overlooked. So let's talk about the real reasons why we impulse shop and how do we know? Like, I want to understand how do we know if we have a shopping problem as well?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great place to start. So let's, let's talk about, okay, how do I even know if my spending is a problem, right? So, you know, my my brand is called overcoming overspending and so the way that i define overspending is really any type of spending that you're doing against your own good Or any type of spending that's just not bringing you closer to the best, highest version of yourself. So a lot of people think, oh, overspending means that I'm spending more than I make. And that can absolutely be the case. So that is true for some people. And in that case, that would look like for most, like you're in credit card debt, right? That's typically the biggest indication that you're spending more than you're making is if you're in some sort of credit card debt. But it could also just be... You know, maybe that's not the case. It could also just mean that you're spending money on just kind of what I call like junk, clutter chotchkes right like things that just aren't really bring a lot bringing a lot of like beauty and value into your life so it could be what you're buying and also if your spending is a form of buffering right so like in the coaching world we talk about buffering a lot and we talk about buffering with alcohol or with food or with social media but we don't typically talk about buffering with money Because again, when we think about money, we just think about making it. But if you are using your money as a buffer, as a buffer in between you and, you know, feeling your feelings, right? And I know for me, when I was in my younger 20s, like I impulse shopped my way through my entire salary. And that was a big reason why I did it, was just because I didn't have healthy tools and healthy coping mechanisms, I was using shopping and acquiring and buying and buying, kind of as a form of buffering. So it's just do any of those things ring true? And that's the biggest thing to me, like a compulsive shopper is, are you using shopping to change your emotional state? that's the biggest thing are you spending more than you make than you make are you hiding your behaviors from other people so are you hiding purchases that you're making for maybe a spouse or a partner things like that do you have a lot of shame guilt anxiety around your spending so it really can be any type of spending that you're doing that you just don't feel good about you're buying things that aren't aligned you're using shopping as a coping mechanism. Those are kind of the main things of, okay, you're spending and shopping is a problem.
0: Mm -hmm. So underneath it, then are you saying that the real reason why we impulse shop is to avoid feeling what we're feeling? Yeah.
1: So when we really kind of start to talk about like the real reasons that you're impulse shopping the two places that we always have to look, which we always do in the coaching world. But again, it's just the root of everything, right? The two places that I always start with my clients are your thinking and your mindset, and then your emotions. Those are kind of the two things. So we can kind of talk about each of those, but let's just start with like your thoughts and beliefs. There's so much brain science and there's so much psychology behind our spending habits, right? And one of the biggest things that I always have my clients start to look at when we start to work together is something that I call, well, this is like kind of a term that we use in life coaching, like your Mm self-concept. And I've kind of taken it one step further and I call it your spending self-concept, which is really how you think about yourself in relation to wealth, money, and specifically spending. And spending is one of the areas of money, probably the only area of money that we actually make it our identity, we make it our personality. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of women that come to me and they're like, oh, but you don't understand. Like I'm just a shopper or, you know, I hear all the time, like my husband's the saver and I'm the spender or, you know, one time I had a client tell me like, you don't understand, like shopping is just like a part of my DNA. Right. And so I'm sure, you know, as a coach, and you probably see this in your clients, like anytime something becomes a deeply ingrained part of our identity, Our brain is always going to be working to live into that identity and to prove it true. So the first place that I always have my clients start is, okay, what is that spending self-concept that you have about yourself? Like, Do you have a spending self-concept that I'm a shopper, I'm a splurger, I always spend, I always blow it, I can't be trusted with money. Is that part of your self-concept? Because if it is, then inevitably that's what you're going to live into. And that's what you're going to prove true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I, I say like, that's always a place to start as you have to look at what your self-concept around, around your finances is mm-hmm. specifically spending.
0: So good. So then what are, what are like the main self-concepts or the mindset that causes women to overspend?
1: Yeah, I think it would just be having this self-concept around, I'm a shopper, Mm -hmm. I'm a splurger, Mm -hmm. and then also in relation to just their ability to manage money and manage it well. Like, I'm somebody who blows it, Mm -hmm. I'm somebody who can't be trusted, with money. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that I hear most commonly. And I know you talked about earlier, you mentioned like your capacity to have money, right? That's a huge component of it as well, because those of us who struggle, and I I used to be in this boat, like a lot of us who struggle to have money. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of give you a little bit more context about what that might look like, if you're like, am I somebody who struggles to have money? It's like, as soon as that money hits your bank account, it's right out the door. Mm -hmm. Right. Or even for me, I know I would already have the money spent in my brain before I even got it. So it was like, before I was even paid, I already knew what I was going to go spend that money on. Mm -hmm. I already knew what I was going to go buy but your mindset around it of like, I can't be trusted. I always blow it. That plays into your capacity to have, because when you're constantly, like when you can't have money and you're spending it right away, it's just another form of self-sabotage. So your brain is just going to be like, you're right. We can't be trusted with this money. This is too much pressure. It's too much responsibility. It's too overwhelming. So let's just go ahead and spend it so that we almost can like relieve ourselves of that level of pressure and responsibility and it sounds really strange like when we say this out loud we're like right. why would i do that but ultimately it's like your brain wants to revert to familiarity more than it wants to do what's best for your financial results moving forward right mm-hmm. so if you have that self concept of like this is too much pressure this is too much responsibility i can't be trusted with this your brain's going to be like I absolutely agree. Let's go spend it. Right. And that's why, like, I always give this stat because I think it's just, I think it's just mind boggling. There's some crazy stat that like 70% of lottery winners end up going broke. Mm -hmm. 30% of them end up declaring bankruptcy Mm-hmm. There's another stat that says like 80 of of NFL players end up experiencing financial difficulty mm-hmm. shortly after leaving the league. So it's like you 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 see this with people who come into money and it's almost just like their spending self concept doesn't support their reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like their reality and their bank account says one thing and their identity is still rooted in something that that doesn't support their current reality. So working on that self-concept and like identifying what it is and bridging that gap between those two is, is huge.
0: Yeah. Oh, so good. I think, you know, understanding, you know, having the awareness of the thoughts and most people might not even be aware of it. There's been this, uh, reels trend that's like my toxic trait is yeah. have you seen that one where It's like is the yeah. between like saving my money or yolo and yes. that's been that's been trending i've been seeing that a lot on the interwebs um and that goes to what you're saying where it's like it's just such a part of people's identities that they don't even i've never questioned it of like is that actually serving me and helping me become more of who i want to be yeah uh,
1: yeah, oh. and one of my big messages, and like kind of like the tag, like one of my taglines, is spending is a skill. Mm-hmm. It's not who you are, and it's not part of your personality. Like spending is something that you do, which means that it's something that you can actually get better at. yeah, because when you continue to ingrain your spending habits as a part of your personality and identity, you start to view it as something that you can't change, you right. can't improve on and you can't fix. And it just kind of becomes like, well, this is just who I am. Like uh-huh. I'm Paige. like I'm five, five. I have blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'm a spender. Yeah. And it's like, no, like spending is just something that you do. It's not like this inherent part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing spending as a skill, this is something I can actually get better at. Like that is one of the most major revelations that you can make on this journey is actually going, oh, like this is something I can actually get better at. I don't have to live into this identity for the rest of my life.
0: Mm, I love that. You said that so much because nothing makes my heart sink more when I'm having a conversation, whether it's with a client or a friend, when they're like, that's just who I am, especially yeah. when it's a friend. Cause I'm not in my coaching mode, but I'm like, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, it's so important to acknowledge that like your doing and the actions don't actually have to be who you are. If you don't want them to be, it doesn't have to be your identity. And this is just so brilliant specifically around money. So what are the mindset swaps? Like what we love we love a good reframe. We love to take the thoughts that don't serve us and, you know, reframe them in a way that are useful and helpful. So what are the mindset shifts to go from I'm just a spender or I can't be trusted with money? What would you sh- like offer to your clients?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So Before I give you these reframes, one point that I do want to make, because this will kind of make the reframes make a little bit more sense, is a lot of people when they come to me, they think that my job is to help you spend less or to help you like cut, cut, cut and become this like really frugal, like penny pincher type person. And that is like the opposite of my goal and of my message. And what I find with a lot of my clients is, typically for a lot of them, they don't actually end up doing that much less spending from a numerical perspective. It's just what they choose to spend their money on and how they're deploying their spending changes. So knowing that a couple of my favorite self-concepts that I have about myself now is one is I'm a really good saver and I'm a really good spender. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of my self-concepts that I have. Like I'm really good at saving money and I'm really good at spending money. Um another one that I love to have is I control my money, my money does not control me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like so, I am the one that's in control of my money. My money isn't in, in control of me because I always say like one of you is going to have the upper hand. Like either you're going to have the upper hand over your money or your money is going to have the upper hand over you and we always want to be the one that again controls the money. So I control my money. My money does not control me Mm. is one that I love. And then I'll give you one more is, um, I, I, I spend my money in a way that fills my life up with value and beauty Mm. is another one that I have, because again, it's not, it's in most cases, it's not even about spending less. And it's certainly not about your spending being this like guilt filled anxiety ridden, Mm thing that you're engaging in. Like when you're spending in a way that's purposeful and that's aligned, it will feel the exact opposite of that. It will feel calm. It will feel grounded. You will feel just like kind of this ease Mm -hmm. around it. And so when you're spending money on things that you truly, truly value, that is a self-concept that you will start to build is like, I spend my money on things that I value and that bring beauty and purpose into my life. So- those are some good reframes to start with.
0: Oh, it's such good reframes, and I think that it's so it's so important to highlight that it's like not about not spending. It's yeah, energy. It's the energy in which you're spending from. It's like yes, what is the emotion that you're spending from. Are you trying to spend to to avoid feeling, you know, um, self conscious or self doubt or whatever you're feeling, or are you spending from a place of love? Are you spending yeah, from a place of calm? It's so yeah different. You know, something that I've noticed within myself is I am a personal development junkie. I love programs. I love courses, but lately I've had to check in with myself and say, like, what do you, what emotion are you trying to find by purchasing this next course? Like I have enough courses to last me for the next couple of years. Yeah. So I told myself, I'm like, before you decide to do this course, you're going to finish the current one that you're in. And that's perfect. Totally shifts the energy and the power because it's very, it's very easy to buffer with personal development because it, it's like very sneaky because you feel like it, you know, that it's like serving you, but it can only serve you as much as like your intention behind it. Right. Yeah. So. so
1: there's there's a couple things there that you said that I, as you're talking, I'm like, okay, we got to hit on this because I am the exact same way. Okay. So a couple things. So. One, I call this your money loves, like as you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, having like this love for your money. But one question that I think is really important that you give some thought to is what are the things that you love to spend money on? Mm -hmm. Personal development is one of mine as well. So mine are personal development and convenience. So I love spending money on like coaching, courses, books, like things like that. And then I also love spending money just... In ways that can make my life easier and that can save myself time.
0: A thousand percent.
1: Yeah. But I will say this to your point, <laughs> One thing just to kind of keep an eye out for is something that's called aspirational spending. And this is the type of spending that pretty much every human being on planet Earth is guilty of, like myself included. So I'm going to explain this to you and you're going to go, oh, yeah, like I for sure, for sure do that. And so this isn't, this isn't like, don't use this as an opportunity to beat yourself up about it. This is just bringing awareness to like, hey, this is something that I do. Let's just be more conscious of it moving forward. But aspirational spending is, spending our money because we're we're aspiring to this like future version of ourselves mm-hmm. and when we're doing it it sounds really nice and really pretty because we're like i'm i'm aspiring to be better like i'm aspiring to be this like better version of myself but where we tend to get things a little bit confused is we abdicate responsibility to what we're buying to deliver that to us Right. So like, to your point, you're like, it's the course, it's the mastermind, it's the coaching that's going to, that's going to just like do all of this for me. And like another common example I use is like, let's say that you're someone and you're like, I want to, I want to become a runner. Like that's something that I want to become part of my identity. Right. What most of us will do in that situation is we'll go, okay, I want to become a runner. So I need to go out and I need to buy the tennis shoes and the watch and the Lulu set and all the tech and and we'll get all the stuff we'll we'll spend all the money and we'll get all the stuff first right and what our brains try to tell us is like that by doing that 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 is what is going to turn us into the runner is like by having all of the stuff right but it's like what actually makes you a runner is going out and running, right? Like that's, what's going to make you the runner. And so it's kind of like, most of us have what we need. Like most of us have shoes that we can throw on our feet and clothes that we can throw on our body to just like go out and just like start running.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, like another one I see a lot, it's in like personal development's really big. Like, okay, books. I want, I want a journal, I like books, journals, things like that. Like, the, books, the, journals, the, like that. Like, the yeah, I want to be someone who journals. Right. And so we'll go out and we'll buy like the $60 journal thinking like, well, once I have the $60 journal that will motivate me to start journaling. And then what happens? We never start journaling. So my big thing is like, get, get yourself into the mindset and get yourself into the practice of like reminding yourself that To your point, the identity is what you want. The feeling is what you want. Like what you're really after and what you really want is like how you think you're going to feel once you identify as a runner or once you identify as somebody who has this like morning routine. And so to your point, the question becomes, how can I create that right now with what I already have. Mm -hmm. And my rule of thumb is give it 30 days, like show yourself that you can be consistent in the behavior and in the activity for 30 days. And then if you are at that point, it's like, okay, now I can go out and now I can get all the stuff to support this identity that I'm forming. But we think that by buying all the stuff that that is what is going to just like inject this identity oh. into us, which like it does
0: for like a split second, right? Yeah. Like it does like,
1: it does like very temporarily. And then we're yeah. like the next
0: day, we're like off to the next thing. Oh, totally. it's very fleeting. And that's what I always say about motivation. I'm like, don't depend on motivation because it's like the most fleeting emotion to depend yeah. on, right? To get you the result that you want. But I love that you brought that up because I, I mean, I see it all the time. I also see it, again on Instagram with so many reposts, like people post memes and like things on their story. And it's like, that's an aspirational post. It's like reposting it doesn't mean that you're living it. And mm. it's like that check-in I think is so important. Yeah. Because it's like who you are in now, not the thing, not the post, not the words that make it you. So yeah, that, that I think about that with a lot of the books. I've done that with books too. Cause I love, I love personal development books. And again, I'm like, honest, I'm like, I'm going to get through all the books on my shelf before I buy the next. Yes. And that just like feels really good too, because it just puts you back in control.
1: Totally. And I think that learning to practice constraint with the things that we buy is one of the most undervalued skills when it comes right. to money. And that's like, one of my big things is, you know, learning to extract the value out of what you already have. Right. It's like, before that. you go out and you buy like your fifth face serum, mm-hmm. face serum, like, yep. Why don't we why don't we try to use the other five bottles that we have oh, and, and try to use that up? Or to your point, like before we go out and buy another book, like why don't we at least like read one book and I'm really big on like one for one, right? Like, I I think that just really helps with your consumption habits and also keeping your environment just uncluttered and organized and purposeful is if I'm going to be bringing something into my environment, something needs to be going out of it either because I've used it all or I've read it or I've consumed it in some form. And this is now coming in and taking its place. So, but I mean, it's, It's easier said than done. I totally, totally get it. I totally get it. Totally. It's an art. Like it's something you got to practice. Yeah. But,
0: well, I love. It. I mean, it is a skill set. I mean, we're not taught yeah. things, and depending on how your parents raised you around money, which my I had the worst relationship with money because of how it was talked about with our family. Like everything that. Everything that my mom and my dad would ever fight about in the divorce was always about money. Mm-hmm. So I had such a money wound. I didn't realize it until I read the book. You're a badass at making money. I like uncovered mm-hmm. all of the things. Yeah. Um, and my husband is a financial advisor, and his relationship with money is just so normal. I'm oh my- like, <laughs> yeah. Like the way that he thinks about money and the way that he spends it. And He's so, like, he. I'm just like, I think he's an anomaly in so many areas. The way he uses his prefrontal is so impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's been so much of my own personal work is that relationship and changing it and noticing it through the spending. And yeah. to your point, I- I've been doing this with hair products. I'm like, I have a lovely drawer full of all sorts of things. And I like feel myself like wanting to buy the next thing. I'm like, No. Oh. I'm going to get through the step, the serums that I have, or I'm going to get rid of the ones that I don't use anymore before I even think about it. And it really yeah. is, it's just, it's such a shift and it's a game changer. And it's, I think it's, people don't realize these subtle things start to add up and they collect for the type of identity that you want to have. And I think yeah. it's not a linear thing. Like for me, I had to heal my relationship with money. I had to really practice having better kinder loving thoughts about money and not being afraid of having conversations about money and that's what I want to talk about next because um there's uh, like shame and guilt are so tied to to money and I remember when my husband would talk to me about money I would shut down like completely disassociate and I didn't realize that it was tied to what happened in my childhood but he would be like like what is going on? Yeah. And I, and I would freak out, I would cry. And then we would talk about it. I'm like, God, I, I have this belief that if we talk about money, that we're going to get a divorce and like, that's how intense it was. Um, that's totally in the past. I've been able to work past that. So now it's just untangling all of the shame and guilt from past money choices. Like that is something that I'm challenged by, um, from time to time that all of a sudden, like haunts me. Like all of a sudden it just like comes up and I'm like, it's like a ghost. I'm like, where did this come from? So how do you drop that shame and guilt story from past money choices?
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to say like, this is so everything that you just said, I'm like nodding my head, just like over and over. I'm like, yes, yes. It's just, it's, it's so common. And I want to say this, that the best thing that we can do about our money, shame and our money guilt is get it out into the open and talk about it. Right. Cause my husband and I went through a journey. We had, both of us had a lot of student loan debt and we had credit card debt again from issues with overspending. And I remember while we were paying off that debt, feeling so much guilt and so much shame about it, but also thinking I was the only person on planet earth who had credit card debt. I was like, no one else is in credit card debt. I was basing my reality off of or student loan debt. I was basing my reality off of like three people, like the my, my three best friends from college, they all graduated without student loan debt. And I knew that because they just like told me that they did. And I had student loan debt. And so I remember thinking like, I am the only person with this debt. I am the only person. So the first thing is just realizing that if you have, and I'm talking about debt, because I I, I typically find that debt is like the one area of this topic we're talking about that tends to carry so much guilt and so much shame, um, or also like just spending money on things that maybe you didn't get a whole lot of use out of, kind of like we were talking about. But this is the analogy that I always like to start with. I think this is just a really quick and easy reframe. So I always tell my clients, when you're thinking about past choices or decisions that you've made with money, I want you to imagine that you're looking back on your past self who has made those choices and those decisions with money, kind of like how you would look at your past self if you were to look at a picture of you like 10 or 15 years ago. And when we do that it's like what's the first thing we notice we always notice like what we're wearing right like when we look at like past photos of ourselves we're always like oh my god like look at that look at that outfit I, mm-hmm. I i was wearing like and when that happens like we kind of have this moment where we're like oh my gosh look at that like what was i doing what was i thinking but then that quickly goes into kind of like this like not not like a not like a moment where we can just kind of like totally laugh it off but we almost just kind of have this very like lighthearted, almost like loving view of our past self who's wearing that outfit from 10 or 15 years ago. Because we can think back to that past version of ourself and remember that in the moment when she chose when she picked out that outfit, like she in the moment thought that she was making a really good choice. She thought that she looked great. She thought that she, you know, had just put put together this outfit that was like fantastic. And so it's like thinking about your past money choices in that way because when we do that we're not like oh my god you were such an idiot. What were you thinking? Like that that like we we don't have this like level of just like shame and guilt and self-loathing and just like negative self-talk. We're kind of like that's that's funny that you thought that that was like a good idea. Because I think like what we do with money, we do this all the time is we judge our past selves Based off of information that we didn't have back then, but that we have today. So. And we use that as like a weapon against ourselves to be like, well, you should have known better. You should have had that experience. You should have had that knowledge and that information. And it's like, but I didn't though. Yeah. I didn't. Right. And like a big part of a part of my story is like I've I've impulse shot. I'm like, listen. You're not going to tell me anything about your spending habits that's going to shock me. I've literally, literally impulse shopped my way through a $60,000 salary. Like I was living at home with my parents, I had no bills, I had no expenses, and I pretty much other than what was taken out for taxes, I I blew it all. I spent it all. And I've done a lot of work to overcome the shame and the guilt around that, and a big part of that has been like finding a lot of love and compassion for The 22 year old version of Paige, who did that and why she did it. Mm -hmm. And she did it because she was trying to cope. She did it because she was trying to self soothe. She did not have the knowledge and the coaching and the tools that 34 year old Paige has. And if she did, she probably would have made different choices, but she didn't. And so it's kind of like don't use the knowledge you didn't have, the Mm -hmm. life experiences that you didn't have when you made those choices against yourself, like Mm -hmm. just come to the realization that you made the choices that you did for a reason. And even if the reason was like, I was just trying, I was just trying to navigate a really difficult time. I was trying to self-soothe. I was trying to cope. And at the time I thought that that was going to fix my problem. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, can we have compassion for that version of ourselves who made those choices?
0: Oh my gosh. So good. I love that so much because I like even just saying that I think being able to speak it out loud is everything, right? Cause shame mm-hmm. can't live in the dark, right? And like, and yeah, you know, just normalizes the things that you didn't know when you were going through yeah. the experience and I'll share. Cause one of the things that I, I think that I had a really hard time and I I've been working on this and, and doing that maybe not even consciously of like having a practice of it, but loving the past version of myself that didn't know any better and like had, did what she needed to do at that time to self-soothe right after I had Ellie, after my maternity leave, I gave myself a maternity leave. I was so terrified about my business. I like, didn't know, you know, how to get back started going through postpartum, having postpartum anxiety in a very, very vulnerable state. Do not make decisions about your business when you're in a vulnerable state. I didn't know that then. I thought that I was talking to someone that I could trust, that was a mom that ha- understood me, a business coach, and totally got taken advantage of. I spent $12,000. Mm. Didn't yeah. have like th- to provide a service. She did not provide the service. It turned out to all be fake. I totally got bamboozled. Yeah. whole experience and it was like like it was a little traumatizing and i and going through postpartum and then not trusting myself like how could i make a decision like this um long story short best thing to ever happen to me a very very expensive lesson but i was able to stand up for myself i was able to get back partial from my credit card company which was amazing like having a business bank account and then being on your side and all like, you know, getting scammed in that way. I did Mm. lose some, like I lost Mm $3,900. So that was my lesson. I'm like, if I had to pay almost $4,000 to learn this lesson, it was so worth it for so many reasons. I learned how to not treat clients. I learned how to deliver a result that I'm guaranteeing. I learned how to um, like to take care of myself during that and not beat myself up. And that was, I didn't have that skill set because the shame and the guilt was just deep. And especially during postpartum, when your emotions are just all over the place, but I didn't know any better. I was in such a vulnerable state and unfortunately it's kind of the wild, wild west out there. It's wild, wild west, but I learned so much and it made me a better coach and business owner. And I learned so much from it. Um, But to your point of like going to that past version of yourself and having compassion, having grace, understanding they didn't know any better at that time, it just like changes everything. Yeah.
1: Well- first of all, thank you for sharing that because I'll be honest, like I do a lot of these interviews and not very many people are willing to kind of like put their cards out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I mean, again, like when when it comes to money, I, I feel like this is another thing that plays a lot into the shame and the guilt with money specifically is because when we think of money, we think about it as a very black and white, very rules driven resource, right? Like, when you learn about money, the first thing you do, or the first thing that happens is you don't learn about the energetics of money. You don't learn behind, like about the mindset of money or the emotional component of money. What do you learn? You learn all of the rules, right? And I'm going like this, like air quotes, like around rules, right? You, it's like all of these rules, like you should have this in the bank. You need to spend your money on this. You should be, you know, it's like, you can't have a life while you're, working to pay off your debt. Like there's just so many rules. Like don't ever lease a car. You should never rent. Like, like, it's just, and, and, and honestly, I'm like, question the rules, Yeah, question the rules, like, especially with money. And I see this all the time with, with women, as women, we feel like we can't question the rules and we can't come up with our own rules. Mm -hmm. And when you give yourself that permission It's so liberating to say, like, I don't have to follow all these rules and all these guidelines that are given to me by, first of all, mostly like men who know nothing about me and who know nothing about my life. Like, I don't have to prescribe to this if I don't want to. And none of us actually really just slow down to say, what, what rules do I want to have around money? Like, what's going to work for me? Like, what makes the most sense for me and my life? Because A lot of the times with the shame and the guilt, it comes from the perceived notion that we've broken some sort of, you know, like hard and fast, black and white rule of money. Mm -hmm. And I actually find that there's actually very little like rules and guidelines to money. Like my number one rule is make your own rules, (laughs) right? I'm like, I'm like, because the second you try to put yourself in that box of saying, this is how my finances have to look and this is how I have to spend it and manage it because, you know, so, because Dave Ramsey told me to do it this way or Susie Orman told me to do it this way or whoever told me to do it this way. That's when you really start to limit yourself and it's just a recipe to just, to your point, be stuck in that shame spiral. Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a recipe for shame.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And I think being able to acknowledge when it's happening is, is everything. So I was, you know, through that experience, I learned so much and I'm so grateful for it, even though there was so, I brought up so much stuff that allowed me to heal it. Like I really allowed me to work through it. Um, and yeah, that it was, just, and some life lessons
1: are just expensive to learn. Like I I say this too. I'm like, I paid, I paid $60,000 to like learn a very, very, very expensive life lesson. But I think that's just how our brains work is like, it wants to focus on the 60,000 or it wants to focus on the 3,900. Like it wants to focus on what we've lost instead of focusing on, okay, but look at all this stuff. Look, like Look at all this goodness and these life lessons and things that came into my life that probably wouldn't have otherwise. And even though a lot of those things are like intangible things, like we can't touch them and feel them and like show them off to other people, they are undoubtedly super, super valuable. So it's like some life lessons, you honestly just have to learn the hard way and you have to learn the expensive way. And And that's that's just just how it goes.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's exactly how I looked at it after working through the initial shame of it is being able to look at it from that. And it's just so empowering because Yeah. yeah, that was the best lesson, expensive lesson, but the best lesson that I could have learned last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we're wrapping up soon, but I do want to talk about the social media, social media, the impact social media has on why we overspend, because I think that has something I've had clients that. They're like, I bought this new thing, and I got targeted on Instagram, and da da da. And I'm like, it's you know, we always want to look at the why. Like, why why do we feel like we need to buy the the things that are coming through on our ads on social media? So I do want to touch on that before we wrap up.
1: Yeah. So I'd love to. T- I'll I'll kind of share the why, and then I'm going to give you guys like just one good tip that you can yeah. use for that really has helped me stop doing so much shopping on social media. But I think that the why really comes down to that. And I feel like we all kind of know this, but it's like social media is a highlight reel. People show you what they want you to see. And people are only going to show you the best, the most beautiful, the most highly curated parts of their lives. Right. But I think that when we just get into the mindless, numbless scrolling of social media land, it's like logically we know this. But when we're in our downstairs brain of just like scrolling, we kind of forget that right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, seeing like a three minute clip of someone who's like a day in my life video, it just like a, like a three minute clip. I think like we talked about, I mean, really at the end of the day, all of us just want to feel better. We just want to be happier and, and feel better than we do. And I think because we live in consumer culture, which is not new with social media, that's just the world we've always lived in. But one of the biggest foundational messages of consumer culture is that stuff and products and things will make you happier, will fix all of your problems. Like, that's just the world that we have all lived in our entire lives. So, when we get on social media and we see a highlight reel of someone's day, we see three minutes of somebody's, you know, 18 hour day. And in the video, they just look so happy or so confident, or their business looks so successful. This isn't really happening consciously, but like subconsciously, we're like, Well, I want to feel like that, right? Like, and we and we project. We take this is just something that our brain does, right? Projection is we take like this three minute clip and we say, Well, this is how they felt in this three-minute clip, which must mean that's how they feel all the time. Mm -hmm. And if they feel that way all the time, I want to feel that way all the time because I don't, because you're over here being a normal human being living your 50-50 human experience. Our brains automatically make that correlation to, okay, well, if I want to feel that way as well, I need. Everything that they have, because our brains are just trained to correlate the things that are in our external world to how we feel. Mm -hmm. right? We just make that correlation and the, the connection between those things like super, super quick and super, super fast. And social media, like I feel like we've always had this problem, but social media has just poured gasoline on an open flame and just made it that much worse. Not only because A, we have more visibility and more transparency into people's everyday lives that we just never had before. I mean, you can go on TikTok and like see what's see somebody's ice cube collection, right? Somebody's like restock my ice cube trays with me. And then you start thinking, well, I don't, I don't have, I I don't have ice cube trays that look like that. Right. You're like, well, I need to have 15 ice cube trays. Like, so it's like just these like little tiny details of like people's lives that we never saw before we get to, we get to see now. And it's just like, and then of course, what happens at the end of every one of those videos, they're like, restock my ice cube trays with me. And if you want these ice cube trays, just go to my Amazon storefront mm. and they're, they're all right there. And you're like, well, okay. So it's just, it, it really all comes down to like us wanting to feel better. And we see these people on the internet, these strangers on the internet that are giving us just this small snippet of their day. But again, our brains project, that's what they're designed to do. And we just so closely associate they look happy. They look successful. They look like they're in a fulfilled marriage. I want that for me. So what's the solution? I need to go out and make my life look exactly like theirs. I just need to go create a, car- a carbon copy of that person's life. Mm-hmm. And then I will get to have the same emotional experience that they're having.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me just
1: go to their Amazon storefront or their like to know it page and just, you know. Bye bye bye, all the things. So, we've always done it. We've always compared. We always will. Our brains are just wired to do that. But social media has just made it, it's taken the comparison to a whole new level. And it's just made it incredibly easy for us to go out and again, hit copy paste on someone else's life.
0: Totally. So what is, what's like the one solution that you have for that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the best thing that you can do, this is just a tip that everyone can take away from this episode is a, a quick fix that you can start practicing and implementing with social media or anything else is putting a pause between seeing something and actually buying it. So many of us are in this habit loop of see it, want it, buy it, see it, want it, buy it. And practicing, putting a pause there. It sounds very, very simple, but Mm -hmm. it will change your world if you just give it a try. So the thing I want you to do is I call it a things I want to buy list. So I keep my things I want to buy list in Notion, which is just like a website that you can like organize stuff in. You can do this in the notes app of your phone, in a journal, but anytime that you see something on social media or honestly anywhere, like if you're strolling through Target that you like, take a screenshot of it, take a picture of it and then add it to your things I want to buy list. Because the thing about buying things and purchasing things is that it's it's honestly not even about the buying of the thing yeah. that gives us the most pleasure. It's about the anticipation mm-hmm. of it, of getting to buy it. That's what dopamine is. Like dopamine is the anticipation molecule. Yeah. So when you can give yourself a pause in between seeing something and buying something and you add it to your things I want to buy list the act of doing that, when you get to add it to your list, it's still going to give you that hit of dopamine that you're actually really seeking. And it just gives your brain time to like cool off. So I would say that like half the things that go onto my things I want to buy list, I don't even end up getting because after I go back and look at it, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not really that super excited about that anymore. Um, and for me, I've, this is just another thing for me. I've put a personal boundary around my consumption habits. I don't buy anything on my phone. So if I buy something, it has to be on my desktop computer or in person. Mm. Um, I have a couple exceptions to that rule. Like my Amazon app, like if we're out of coffee pods or something, like I I can go on my Amazon app and just order like, you know, like household items and toiletries and stuff like that. But really anything else, like anything I see like on an Instagram ad or a Facebook ad, or like if an influencer is, is showing something, um, I just, I don't buy anything on my phone. I'll take a screenshot of it and I'll add it to my things I want to buy list and I'll give myself some time and my brain to cool off. And later on, if I want to get it, I will. Um, but that's another thing when you add it to your things, I want to buy list you, it's like telling your brain, like we can get it. We're just not going to get it right now.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's like
1: speaking to a toddler.
0: I, I mean, <laughs> kind of, you, kind
1: of have to, you kind of have to, right. I mean, it really you. is like, yeah, it's like your, it's like your parent brain and your toddler brain. Right? Oh, right. And when you see, like, when you see the ads and, and all of that sort of stuff, it's like, you're in your toddler brain. You're not thinking rationally, like you're, you're, you're like the dopamine is flowing. Like your brain is lighting up like a Christmas tree. You're in that emotional part of your brain, like logic and reason are really, really low. And so that's not the place that we want to be making our purchasing decisions from. So when you can add it to that list, you allow yourself to go into that place in the future, when you do decide to buy something and you're going to get double the amount of pleasure, you're going to get the pleasure in anticipating it. And you're gonna get the pleasure in buying it when you do buy it versus just buying it right away and only getting one hit of pleasure. So waiting actually will give you double the amount of pleasure.
0: Yeah, that delayed gratification. Ooh, so, so good. good. So good. Well, Paige, it has truly been a delight, such a pleasure chatting with you. Is there anything you want to share before we wrap up? I
1: think we covered it all. Um, we we covered a ton. So oh, just thank you so much for having me, and this was such a blast it and
0: so fun. Yeah. Oh my god, I, we could we could honestly keep going, but we're at, we're we are officially at time. So where can people find you if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah. So on social media, all of my handles, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube are at overcoming underscore overspending. Uh, I have a podcast as well. It's called the Money Love Podcast. So if you're looking for a good money podcast, just solely about money, you can check mine out. And I have a group coaching program. So if this is something that you definitely want to work on and take this work deeper. If this is an area that you're like, yeah, I definitely need to do some work here. Um, you can go to overcomingoverspending.com to join my group coaching program.
0: Amazing. Well, I will make sure that's all linked in the show notes. Uh, before we wrap up, if I was to ask your friends and family, what your superpower is, what would they say?
1: Oh, good question. I would say, um, you know it's funny i actually i had to do this a couple years ago for this project that i was working on and the one thing that everyone said is um that i'm like i i remember my husband said that you're the least judgmental person i've ever met mm-hmm. i think i don't have i don't have a lot of things figured out but i think like in the coaching world one one thing that i have mastered pretty well is like just dropping my manual for people mm-hmm. and i think it serves me really well as a coach and also Really well, just specifically in this work that I do in an area that has so much shame and judgment. One common thing that my clients always tell me is like, thank you so much for not judging me. Like, and I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, why would I, it's not my place to. So I think I just, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm very like unjudgmental. So and that's why I always say, like, you are never going to tell anything to me. That's like going to shock me or make me go like, Oh my God. You know, I'm just yeah. like, I've heard it
0: all. I welcome it all. Like, it. yeah. That so. is a superpower. I love it. That's a good answer. Well, as we are coming to an end, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. This was so valuable. And I know that my audience, my community are going to love this conversation and just love you. So thank Bye. you again. Thanks for having me, Brittany. Okay. These are the type of conversations that just give me so much life. You know, we talk so much about mental health, emotional wellness, physical wellness, spiritual wellness, but financial wellness is all a byproduct of all of those parts of ourselves being taken care of and being able to recognize the action of overspending as a way to avoid or the way that we react or resist feeling emotions is just so fascinating. And the way that Paige broke it down was illuminating. So good. I love these conversations and I love that Paige is also a new mama. We had so much in common. I feel like we could have talked for hours and hours and hours. So make sure that you check her out. She is brilliant. And the way that she broke that down was so easy and so simple and amazing. So these are the kinds of conversations that we have in our container. These are the types of things that I coach women on in my group container activate. And I want to invite you to join us for the rest of the year. I'm only opening the doors one more time and we're going to close out the year in true Britney Fashion, we are going to have so much fun while going after our goals, while overcoming our obstacles. We're going to spend our time really digging into our emotional well being so we can learn to respond to the challenges, to the hard things that happen instead of react. We're going to take the responsibility off our back and we're going to learn how to be responsive to life, which is really truly about dropping into the present moment. So when I teach you how to overcome negative emotions, how to process them through your body, how to hold space for yourself, how to question the thoughts that come up. You can truly have anything that you want in your life, but it is not passive and you will not do this by yourself. You can try, but it is so much better when you are in a supportive container with a group of women that just get it, that see you. There is such power with. Being within a community, being seen, witnessing other people go through challenges, helping them overcome their challenges, this conscious collective effort is so potent. And I just want to invite you to be a part of it. So, if you kind of feel like you're floating around and you don't have the space to grow and you are looking for a container to do that, I want to invite you, my precious podcast listener, in. What we're going to do is get clear on what you want. We're going to define what you want for the rest of the year. And then we're going to go after it. And yes, there's going to be roadblocks. Yes, there's going to be obstacles. The holidays are full of obstacles. They're full of challenges. But that does not mean that we have to stop our growth because of it. We can grow even more because of it. So if you are interested, please Sign up for the waitlist so I can reach out to you personally so we can set up a call to make sure that I can support you in your goals so you can join this container for the rest of the year. So sign up in the show notes. I'm here to support you. All right, my friend, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I am so grateful for you to have you be a part of my community. As always, please send me any questions, any feedback. I am here to help you grow no matter what season you're in. All right, until next time, remember to love yourself, own your happiness, and let your light shine because you are so worthy of it, my friend. Until next time.